We are uh, excited to be able to continue our series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, so you can start turning in your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, we'll pick up there in just a minute. If you're just joining us for the first time today, uh, or if uh, you've been with us just the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a deep dive uh, into some thematic topics in the book of Proverbs. And we've been learning about wisdom, uh, about getting advice, about addiction, uh, about integrity, and today we'll be jumping into a different topic. Uh, today the topic is a little bit heavier and more serious uh, perhaps than some of the others. Last week I had a woman come up to me uh, right after church. She was visiting from another sister congregation uh, in the States, and she said she felt guilty after the service. And I said, why would you feel guilty? She said, I laughed so much. And I thought, what do you mean? What happened? She said it was too funny. And uh, she said with a smirk, I don't think church is supposed to be that funny. So I've decided that we're going to make a lot less jokes today because of that comment. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what it was. Integrity is a very serious topic, but I think we were talking about, you know, examples of lack of integrity. And we, we had a lot of fun uh, in joking about ourselves in that way. Uh, today, the topic is sexual purity. And we'll be jumping into Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and reading there. Let me make two uh, sort of qualifying caveats today uh, about sexual purity. The first one is, this is a gigantic topic. Uh, take today in stride uh, against the backdrop of much more that we just don't have time to cover today. Uh, as always, I ask that you try to pick one thing that inspires you or challenges you or you can apply practically in your life because we'll be covering quite a lot of ground. And then the second thing is content warning. Uh, we'll be talking about sex today, and uh, I don't see many young ones in the room today. They're mostly downstairs in their classes. Uh, I'm not going to show anything graphic, but the discussion is going to deal with some of the layers and intensities uh, of sex. So I got that out of the way. Are we all good? No? Okay. Three, half of us are okay. The other half are thinking about leaving. All right. Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, scoot up next to a Bible. Download it real quick. And let's read together uh, in these few passages. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. Keeping you from your neighbor's wife. From the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For a prostitute can be had for a loaf of bread, but another man's wife preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet, if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse a bribe. However great it is. We'll stop there for now. And yes, we've opened up with quite a serious warning about our sexual purity. It's basically saying lust and impurity and immorality is a fire. You cannot play with it without being burned. 
Now, this passage specifically addresses adultery and that sex outside of marriage. And I want to continue along this theme uh, by reading a reference from Jesus himself in the New Testament, uh, starting in Matthew chapter 5. He references uh, Exodus 20, do not commit adultery, and says this. And of course, as we've been doing the last few weeks, we're borrowing from tweets uh, on Twitter and some other social posts because we've decided that the modern day proverb is really a tweet, 140 character uh, explanation of what someone believes is truth and wants to share that with the world. So... Uh, from, I think this is uh, Diane, Uh, she quotes uh, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, of course, to do it is wrong, uh, but now we're talking about the heart, right? To get to the root of the issue and to potentially train ourselves to have a preventative strategy in our souls, to not get in trouble when it comes to lusts of the heart and a lust that we commit actions on. In Proverbs chapter 27, I'll show you another tweet here. In chapter 27, verse 12, in the New Living, it reads, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. We understand that. It makes sense. It's logical. It points to truth that it's important to take precautions, to have safety measures in especially our spiritual lives. I want to show you some examples of folks who have failed to take precautions. 63 women came forward to accuse Harvey Weinstein of sexual abuse. Since the Weinstein sex scandal broke, 20 other men have been accused. Most, I'm talking about high-profile uh, men, most either been fired or replaced, now are dealing uh, with court and consequences, and that's just in one month's time with people who are in uh, the very public eye. Um, we have all kinds of examples of very famous people who cheat. Ashton Kutcher cheated on his wife after six years of marriage, Demi Moore. Uh, Spears cheats on Timberlake. Pitt cheats on Aniston for Angelina. And before that, Billy Bob Thornton cheated on his wife, Laura Dern, also for Angelina. And after 12 years of Brangelina marriage and six kids, they announced their divorce, both accusing each other of cheating on one another. Uh, Klum cheats on Seal with the bodyguard. Kristen Stewart cheats on Robert Pattinson with one of her directors. Tiger Woods has 19 mistresses in his five-year marriage. Uh, Hugh Grant was caught with multiple prostitutes. J-Lo cheated. Kevin Hart cheated. The list goes on. These are the prime heroes and influencers of our culture, right? This is who our kids see on TV and want to emulate as they play different characters on the screen, and the list goes on. And generally, I would assume that if you're like me, you get sick of all this sort of tabloid uh, mess. Now, before anyone gets too comfortable judging from our nice red velvet thrones, (laughs) just feel them for a minute. Feel them, feel feel the throne. Sit like a king or queen, enjoy it for a minute. You need a scepter in one hand and a gavel in the other. They're all terrible people. Keep in mind a couple of things. Sexual sin has been around for a very long time. And the second thing is, none of us are safe. Who is the author of the Proverbs? Most of them is Solomon. He was famous for his wisdom. Did a lot of different things. 
built things and did all kinds of things and made these great decisions, uh, would you also say that he made some bad decisions? Interesting that Solomon wrote so many passages in the Proverbs warning other people about the dangers of sexual immorality. Let me give you a little context uh, for those that know. It'll be a reminder. For those that don't, it will help to set up and understand in a better way uh, the concepts and foundations built in Proverbs. So if you were to start in 2 Samuel 11, of course, Solomon was king and a famous king for many years. Before him, his father was on the throne. His father's name was? David, the mighty King David who slayed the giant and uh, they all sang songs about him and he turned things around in Israel and uh, reigned for for many years. And basically one evening uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's recorded in verse 2 that David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of his palace and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from the monthly uncleanness. She went back home. Then the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So this is Solomon's dad. Solomon's mom is Bathsheba. So he's the result of this affair, which leads to all kinds of other things, including a strategy to murder Bathsheba's husband. This is David, the great king. And if you follow sort of the generational line and you come into Solomon's story and you learn about his great wisdom and all his great decisions, you get to 1 Kings chapter 11 and you hear this. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters. He loved Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heads, your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as the heart of of David, his father, had been. He followed Ashtra, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. You've heard of the old proverb, like father, like son. And we might call that generational sin, right? Uh, sometimes situations you don't even have to know your father, but you've inherited some of his sins genetically, right? Thanks, Dad. All right. <laughs> Others of us know our fathers and have decided, I'm going to go the opposite way because I see some of the sins in my father and I'd rather do something different. And then that leads you to the sin of extremism now, on the other side of the coin. The point is, we're all one step away from the rooftop. We're tempted to flirt, lust, self-gratify, cheat, reveal too much, compromise for attention, affection, emotional affairs, inappropriate conversations, text messages, emails, posts, watching immoral and impure media. And sometimes we can rationalize when we're watching or listening saying, but I'm not doing anything. And there's an interesting quote from Tertullian says, how can it be right to look at the things that are wrong to do? So we live in a world, we definitely live in a city that consumes commercializes and capitalizes on sex. And ironically, as normal as it's become, 
Even though it's so normal in society, people still prowl around in secret when they do these things. And then once they get revealed, it's an expose on the front cover of all the papers. It says in Proverbs chapter 9, get some insight into this, 17 through 18, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there. And our guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I don't know why, but there's something exciting about something stolen and something secret. Something, something exotic. Taking what's not ours, what we're not supposed to have. Hiding it, making sure that we take precautions not to get caught, to cover our little thing that we're doing. I've been there. I've been blinded. I've been roped in. Uh, but it's those pleasures that probably all of us have seen or experienced ourselves that are short-lived at best, a total illusion. And at worst, what does the scripture say? It's the realm of the dead. It, it's the rope be- that becomes a noose. It's the highway to hell. So I'm not here to dive deeper into the morbidity of the situation. I'd like to offer some good news. So regardless of your situation, how awesome or awful your situation is, your perfect father in heaven teaches us how to be pure. It is possible. I want to say that first. And how to sync up with the sanctity of his holy word and to make sure that we're not violating our own consciences. Let me start you off with this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 17 through 19, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers or the culture that you've been brought up in but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I want to zero in on that line that says an empty way of life. That, that's what's been handed to us by humanity. And the message that's good today is that Jesus shows us a better way, a way to be redeemed from the impurity of our world and of our minds. I want to take us back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. And if you were to imagine that this was a little bit of an illustration of Adam and Eve, um, one of the things it says there is that they were naked and they had no shame. And that's a really interesting statement. Um, And and if you were to sort of play along with this idea, uh, you know, love triangles is some of the things we see in in books and movies are a bad thing. One's cheating on the other and all that. Uh, I thought the only pure and true love triangle triangle that's acceptable is that if God is at the top of the triangle and sort of the man's over here and the woman's over here, if they have a unique relationship with the Lord, right? If they are building towards him, then in their relationship, as they get closer to him, they're also getting closer to what? Each other, right? This is the bond and plan that God has for us starting way back in the garden. I want to argue today that God is actually a big fan of sex. He's a big fan. It's all over the Bible. He loves it. In Deuteronomy, he actually has stipulations for the honeymoon. All right? Uh, Josh and Andrew are going to be gone for, I don't know, 10 days, maybe 14. God said that I want all the men and the women that get married to have a full year of paid leave where all they do is to bring happiness to one another in their home. Josh works for the church. I'm not able to offer him that much money. I wish I could. What a great idea. Vacation, paid leave, right? That was God's design. 
He wanted to nurture that young love in the young marriage and help them to be able to get to know each other even better. That's his design. That's his idea. There's a whole book in the Bible called the Song of Songs or Solomon that gives specific, specific teaching on intimacy with couples. It's all about sex. Uh, when I was a single, uh, someone told me you shouldn't read that until you get married. And so when someone tells you not to read something, so I read it. Uh, sorry, whoever told me that, but it's the Bible. I, you know, is it off limits? It was great. I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a really cool uh, insight into, again, God's love for the way that we can follow in his path for marriage and his design for sex and intimacy. Even in the New Testament, you say, those are only Old Testament scriptures about God. I think in the New Testament, nothing like that. Wrong. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God is so big on sex and his design for marriage that he says, it's your duty. All right. Uh, It is your job if you are a husband or a wife to make sure that you are investing in your sexual relationship. It got real quiet in here real quick. (laughs) See, the garden, they were naked and they had no shame. And the reason we get really quiet in here is because there's shame. There's shame. The Garden of Eden was innocent. There was no sin. There was no insecurity. No fears. It wasn't about comparing yourself. You know, there weren't magazines or websites to tell us we're too big or too hairy or not big enough or don't have enough hair in the right places. So there wasn't this, uh, you know, I'm looking in the mirror. Oh, my gosh, I don't want Adam to see me like this. It was just Adam and Eve. Naked with no shame. You know, there's a difference between shame and guilt. Um. Guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. Let me give you an example. There's a man who recently died at the age of 91. Uh, He was married to his sweetheart, Millie, in 1949. He was 23 years old. He went to war, and while he was gone, Millie cheated on him. He came home. He found out. He felt incredible shame. He felt like, I am a mistake. I wasn't worth it. I'm not enough for her to have waited for me and to have been faithful. So they split up. He hardened his heart and he decided to set out to never allow a woman to hurt him like that again. He would conquer and he would never be a mistake. By the end of his life, he had slept with over 1,000 different women, and his name was Hugh Hefner. He spent 70 years trying to prove that he was good enough, and nothing made his wound heal. He died broken. That's the empty way of life. In Genesis chapter 4, as you continue hearing about Adam and Eve, uh, you can turn there or just read along with me here. And I have some Hebrew I want to share with you as well. But 
Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. They sin, there's consequences, but God you know, makes them clothing and, and provides for them a way to continue living. And uh, they start a family. And in, uh, here in Genesis chapter 4, it said uh, in verse 1, Adam made love to his wife Eve. And I want to zero in on this uh, phrase, this word made love. In some of your translations, it will say Adam knew his wife Eve or Adam lay with his wife Eve. And this word, uh, which is... Uh, explicitly about him having sex with his wife and then becoming pregnant uh, with their child is from this word uh, in the Hebrew that is yada. All right? Uh, Yada. Yeah, just like Elaine on Seinfeld. Yeah, yada, 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 yada. Exactly. Exactly right. Okay. And it's funny because it's like, Nowadays, you say, well, I, I went to the store and, you know, I talked to the guy and I bought, a, I, I, I bought a candy bar and yada, 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 and then I went to work. No, that's the wrong context. <laughs> you, you did not sleep with the guy, uh, you know, and have sexual relationships with him while you bought the candy bar. That's not what you're trying to say. That's the original context of the word. But as it's sort of been colloquialized over the years, it's become sort of this is a dot, dot, dot period of time that takes place. But when you go back to the original yada, 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 this is what it's talking about. It is a very important word. It's used over 900 times in the Old Testament. And it's not just in the context of sexual relationship. Uh, This word actually translated literally means to know. To have knowledge of someone. To perceive, to learn, to respect, to understand, to experience, to connect with somebody in a very intimate way. Um, up in the top right corner of the slide, not all sex is the same, not all sex is intimacy. The reason why is because there are different words used for different contexts in Scripture. For instance, when we read earlier about David slept with Bathsheba, that is not yada. That is shakab. Shakab, literally translated, is an exchange of bodily emissions. The physical animalistic sense of sex. It is not yada. It is not intimacy. It is not the intimate connection and experience that God has designed for man and woman to have in marriage. I want to give you some examples of yada in the Bible where it's not talking about an explicit sexual relationship. And most of the times in those 900, it's actually talking about our relationship with God. God's goal with us is he wants an intimate relationship where we know him, perceive him, understand him, and he knows us. Up there on the screen is Psalm 46, verse 10. This is a familiar one. Be still and know that I am God. That's yada. Be still. Be at peace. Calm your heart. Have knowledge. Have an intimate understanding that I am here, that I am with you, that I'm your father, that I want this connection. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, God says, I am pleased with you and I know you by name. He knows you. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your fear. He knows what you're thinking right now. Isn't that scary? You have a lot going on in your brain right now. Some of you are uncomfortable. I want to get out of here. Some of you are hungry and trying to figure out where you're going to eat. Some of you are locked in. We're all in different places. God knows every thought. And isn't it cool that even though he knows every thought, he still wants a relationship with you? He knows all my thoughts. And I think, man, if anyone knew all my thoughts, they would not want to be anywhere near me at all. It's a crazy world up there. And God continues to reach out, to love, to connect with me. 
In Psalm 139, verse 1 through 3, you have searched me, Lord. Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Familiarity. We have relationships like this. Friends like this that know your patterns, that know your quirks, that know the weird stuff you do, the weird smells, uh, the weird idiosyncrasies, right? We have these relationships that become intimate. God has that knowledge of us. He knows all the little things that you do. In the New Testament, the equivalent word in the Greek is gnosko, and there are other scriptures that talk about this great knowledge that we have. Now, we're studying out the Proverbs, and I just want to give you an example of how many times this word yada appears in the Proverbs. 32 times. Think about it. What's the whole series called? Word to the wise. We're trying to get wisdom. What's the ultimate form of wisdom? Yada. Why? Because it's personal, intimate relationship with God. The whole book of Proverbs is about connection with the Lord. It's about being in close proximity in a spiritual way with God, your creator. So you're going to see it over and over and over again. Proverbs 123, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I'll make known to you my teachings. Proverbs 22:19. so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today. Proverbs 24, 14. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. It is sweet. It is intimate. This relationship is delicious. And really, I think the bottom line and sort of the practical today is that it all starts with a conversation. Intimacy begins with a conversation. There's a scripture in the Psalms that reads in 119.9, how can a young person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. You know, uh, I want to show this picture again because I love it so much. <clears throat> Josh and Andrea's uh, wedding was, was quite inspiring yesterday <clears throat> to see them uh, and their love blossom over the years, uh, to see their families here over the weekend, to connect with them, all of us. We're really rejoicing. We're rejoicing uh, their happiness, uh, their union, uh, their purity. Uh, they really were such an incredible example to us in so many different ways. And if you don't know the story, I shared this at the wedding yesterday. Uh, not every one of us was able to go. Uh, but they, uh, there was, there's an online dating service that the church has set up several years ago. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was kind of skeptical at first. I was like, how are they going to, you know, do all the vetting and the screening? And I, you know, I got kind of a weird feeling about it. And so I looked into it and I did my research and I thought, wow, there's some, you know, advanced stuff that they're doing and they're really making sure uh, that all the vouching process and all the screening and matching process is legit. And uh, so when I got the email, uh, do you vouch for Joshua Rothberg to enter into the, you know, this sort of world? Uh, the DT heart and soul, I, I said, absolutely. And, and some of you guys have done the same. And Arlene and I are, are happy, happily and willingly uh, able to do that. Anyway, so they got matched up. And so they quickly set up a phone date. And uh, on their first time on the phone, and for those of you that know Josh, and many of us have heard him speak, uh, you know, sometimes he, he has that old soul quality about him where he sometimes uses phrases uh, from maybe like the 1950s. And I remember very early on, he said this to me, but basically on the phone with her, he said, you sure are swell. <laughs> and, and it's not the kind of thing she had heard before. And so in her mind, and I, I heard both sides of the story here, in her mind, she heard, wow, you sure are slow. 
And, and the way he remembers her hearing it when they talked later is that you sure do smell. <laughs> Either way, disaster, right? In the very first phone date. So she very quickly clarified, like, wait, what did you just say? I, I said, you sure are swell. Did you say what? No. Okay. All right. All good. I'm glad we cleared that up. And uh, she even said later, I don't think it would have gone beyond that one phone call if we hadn't cleared that up. <laughs> but it all starts with a conversation. They started falling in love as they spoke on the phone. Their words started to bond them together, hearing each other, listening to each other's fears and dreams and ambitions. Uh, Picking up on patterns, not interrupting, learning, being an empathetic and active listener, perceiving, building on the foundation of respect. Yada was starting in that relationship. It's the key to purity. And it's also the key to a great relationship with God. It begins with words. How do we communicate with the Lord? We pray. We speak our words to him and he listens. And how do we listen to the Lord's words? We have his word, which is called the Bible, right? And so he's given us his words, whether it's bound or online or PDF or posted or tweeted about. These are his most intimate messages made accessible to anyone that wants to start a relationship with him. And some people say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus. I know Jesus real well. Um, How well do you know the Bible? Oh, I don't really know the Bible, but I know Jesus really well. And that always struck me as funny because in John chapter one, it says Jesus is the word. So guess what? Time to start actually having a relationship with him by hearing what he has to say. Uh, How would that be if Arlene and I, uh, in our 16 years of marriage, uh, would invite you over for dinner and you saw that the nature of our relationship is I come home and I do 99% of the talking and she throws in one word and that's it. And you thought, well, that was a little odd, you know, he did all the talking and she did all the listening. It was really weird. And, uh, and then you come back, you say, it must have been an anomaly. And you come back several weeks later and you hang out and the same thing happens again. And you're going, this is really strange. I do not want a relationship like that. Actually, hopefully no one does want a relationship like that. If you do, God forgive you. All right. We, we want a reciprocal relationship. We're mutually benefiting each other, listening, speaking to one another. But... Let me tell you something. Some of us, we like to do all the talking with our relationship with God. Oh, yeah, God, listen to me. I want this. I want that. I want that. I need something different in my job. I need that relationship to go this way. Cool. Good. Amen. I'm on my way. Oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. Oh, yeah, I got got the text alert. I read the scripture. I'm good. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get it on Sunday. I don't need it. Don't worry about it. How arrogant. If we're doing all the talking and not letting God, the creator, speak his words into our heart, to have a relationship with us. This is a relationship. We have to analyze where we're at on that. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you don't have much to say. It's hard to pray. If you're like that, I'm like that. It's harder for me to pray than it is to read the Bible. I love research and reading. I could read all day. But when it's time for me to sort of be there with the Lord, sometimes I'm drawing a blank. I don't, God, I don't know where to start. And I have to really kind of force myself to get into first gear. And, uh, you know, I've done different things to help me to be able to do that. you got to figure out where are you at in your intimate relationship with the Lord. Amen. To me, it is the key to a pure life. We could have spent the whole time today talking about all the craziness in our world. And we have. We've talked about all the pornography and the sexual addiction. We have, and I'm sure we will again because we don't want any topic to be taboo and we don't talk about it in the church, right? 
But today is the good news about the answer, about going to the core of who you are, the roots of your spiritual soul, and deciding, this is where I turn things around. This is going to be informing me on how I make decisions in my life, in my purity. You guys know this guy, right? I always call him Marky Mark. I can't, I, I can't think Wahlberg when I see him. I'm older, that's why. Um, interesting quote. You know, he, he said at one point a couple months ago, I really hope God forgives me for doing boogie nights. And this is where he uh, plays, uh, I don't know if it's a prostitute or a strip club person or whatever. Uh, and later he clarifies and he says, actually, I don't want to compromise my artistic integrity or choices based on my faith or my family. So he's clarifying his statement. At first, because he said he was talking to a bunch of kids and they're asking questions and he's, he calls himself a believer and he says, well, you know, I, I do pray God forgives me. But later, he felt like he might be offending some of the people he worked with on the, on the set. And so he took it back and said, now, I, I don't want to compromise my art just because of my faith. It's ironic he uses the word integrity here, I think. Pretty sure this is the opposite of integrity. You cannot claim a faith in God and then say, oh, my work overrules my faith. It is better to have no faith at all. That's what the Bible says. And I'm not trying to hate. Look, I'm not trying to hate on celebrities today. I told you earlier, you know, none of us are safe. But the truth is the truth. And these are some of the most influential people in our world. And the world very easily can pull the wool over our eyes. And we start imitating what we're seeing. We start dressing like and talking like and doing the things that we see in media because even subconsciously, it's making a statement about the way we need to look good, the way we need to be successful, the way we need to conduct ourselves. You know, we can get so busy taking our cues from these folks that we forget our faith. I would say also, this is important to keep in mind, that these and many others uh, of people who violate that we would call Bible purity standards, some of them are not trying to live by the Bible. This is actually important to remember. If they're not trying to live by the Bible, they are not living according to the standard of the Bible, then they don't have the same standard that we do. Does that make sense? This is why it doesn't make sense for us to go out into the streets and start yelling at everybody and say, you know, all kinds of crazy things about all the standards that they're violating because they have never been exposed to the standard. Right? Is that fair? No, that's called self-righteous, right? That's, that's being judgmental, and Jesus didn't do that. So there's no grounds for us to be judging everybody. Now, of course, I'm sure a lot of us would be willing to help if any one of these people uh, hey, said, hey, I, I'm open to hearing about God and the Bible and the standard that you guys uh, ascribe to in the, in the church. Help me out. And I'm sure none of you would be like, no, you're a waste of time. No, we'd be glad to hang out with Marky Mark or any of the guys that want to hang out. <laughs> Meet me in the public diner. I, you know, we'll, we'll have a good talk there. And, and keep in mind that Jesus didn't ram his message down people's throats. He taught, he loved, he served. And mostly, who did he do the rebuking and challenging to? The inner circle, right? So this is where we start. Right here in the room with our hearts. That's the way Jesus did it. Jesus was pure. He is our example. And then what we do is we take step by step forward as we are in recovery, chasing our freedom down, and we humbly proclaim the victories 
in our story. No elitism, no talking down to people, no gloating, no judging, no self-righteousness. Only this. I was blind, and now I see. And I'd love for you to come see with me. That's it. That's the answer. It's about focusing on the yada, intimate relationship with God. That's an exciting thing for people to want to know. Jesus has an interaction with a woman caught having sex outside of marriage. And the crowd wants to kill her. And he says, you don't have any sin? Go ahead and throw the first stone. And did anyone throw any stones? Nope. They left. So Jesus turns to the woman and says, they left. They didn't condemn you, so I'm not going to condemn you either. Leave your life of sin. So the challenge for us today is this. While we still have breath in our lungs and a chance to change, we ought to leave our sins as far behind us as we possibly can. It's not easy work, but the work starts in our relationship with God. To engage with the Almighty, to hear his words, he will listen. To break the chains of whatever our forefathers' legacy has left to us, right? Even though David left it to Solomon, Solomon had a choice, right? And then Solomon had Rehoboam, and Rehoboam had a choice, and it continues on. For us, the opportunity is to break that cycle, to break through the brokenness by the only one who can heal us. That's the perfect one, the sacrificial lamb, the pure, precious blood of the Savior of all. Let's go to him now and let's pray for our time of communion. Our God in heaven, we know that we have uh, attempted to dive into a serious topic today, but we ask that you will help to lift our hearts to see that purity is possible through an intimate connection with you. God, forgive us for our sins. We've committed many sins in action in our hearts and our minds. We've fantasized and lusted and flirted. Uh, We've done so much, God, that we're embarrassed about and we're ashamed of. But Father, help us to remember as your son reminds us of as he was willing to die for us on the cross that while we have made mistakes, we are not mistakes. God, thank you that you can cure our shame that you can help us recover, that we can know freedom, and that the answer is right here, listening to you, connecting with you, perceiving you, understanding you, having a relationship with you, and doing whatever it takes to clear everything out so we can prioritize you. God, help us today, even as we take the communion, as we remember your body, as we take the bread, as we remember your blood, as we take the cup, Help us to remember that it's worth it, that we wouldn't be here otherwise. And God, we need your power to overcome the serious temptations that we're faced with every day. God, help us not to be self-righteous. Help us not to gloat or to judge, but to first make sure that we are tight with you, that we are judging ourselves, that we are aiming for the garden, for your great plan to be without shame. We love you, and we're so grateful for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.